Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome aboard, everybody. Welcome aboard. I'm Evers, Alan Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous gap separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degree-thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of gray. And to that end, each and every show, we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's www.alannathan.com. Don't forget that email address, alan at alannathan.com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan show, Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. Feel free to avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And, of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we'd love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right. The Alan Nathan Show is entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you, reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week. Again, all thanks to you. And by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right. Please get out of the thought control business. Our topics to jurors, you may have heard, well, Manhattan D.A. Bragg is prosecuting Trump for violating 2016 federal campaign finance laws. <laughs> despite the statute of limitations expiring for not only the state, but also the feds. Despite the fact that the feds already uh, had already found insufficient evidence to move the case forward. Despite the fact that Bragg's key witness, Michael Cohn, is a convicted perjurer. So, dude, please, what the F, man? Now, on this issue, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, tweeted saying the Trump... Uh, uh, has the right to uh, a trial to prove innocent. She said, quote, everyone has the right to a trial to prove innocent, unquote. Thus, of course, using an inverted burden of proof pretext for a moronic conclusion. I mean, obviously, the order is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. But there we are. Also, the Missouri and Louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration has been heating up. Uh, witnesses have been testifying before Congress saying that the White House and other government personnel perpetrated, quote, unquote, the largest speech censorship operation in recent history, unquote. Folks, that's tyranny, if true. Is it true? Yeah, it is true. <laughs> uh, this is astonishing. So we have this inverted burden of proof construct coming from the woke left. And this is why I think eventually the woke will be put to sleep, because their inverted burden of proof uh, structure in all arguments is simply unsustainable. I mean, eventually people catch on uh, or at least get grow tired of assertions endlessly predicated on what are merely just other assertions with only shaming tactics used as their validation. 
people eventually see the difference between a, a, a legitimate premise versus the pretext pretending to be one. Or maybe I'm being overly sanguine about our future in this regard. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and turn to uh, old friend of the show, Paul Kaminar. Uh, he's legal counsel for the National Legal and Policy Center. He previously served as senior executive counsel of the Washington Legal Foundation, fine organization as well, uh, representing over 300 members of Congress in major Supreme Court cases. Uh, Paul Kaminar, uh, good to have you back. How are you today? Yeah, thank you for having me. No, oh, pleasure, pleasure, uh, without a doubt. Let's dive right into what's going on here. Now, as I've mentioned before, Manhattan DA Bragg, the guy wants to prosecute Trump for violating 2016 federal campaign finance laws by really what I, what I consider to be a three-bank shot without the cushions to get there. I mean, again, you got the statute of limitations expiring. Uh, the Fed's already found insufficient evidence to move the case forward. Uh, Bragg's key witness, Michael Cohn, uh, already lost credibility by being a convicted perjurer. Also, Cohn, by the way, loses more credibility because his own lawyer, Robert Costello, uh, testified to the grand jury saying that Cohn admitted to him that he and not Trump paid the alleged hush money to Stormy Daniels. And now, of course, we learn that the uh, quote-unquote conspiracy to defraud portion of Bragg's case is really missing its required theft component. And and I guess I'm asking you what I've asked previous guests. Aside from the shock value of indicting a former president, what other value is there to this case, sir? Uh, I don't see any uh, value at all. I mean, it's clearly a political witch hunt. It's uh, selective prosecution. Uh, keep in mind that when Bragg went ran for office, he vowed to get Trump regardless of what violations there may be. It reminds me of the old... Uh, Joseph Stalin's uh, chief of uh, the Soviet secret police, where he said, uh, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. And that's what's happening here, unfortunately, in the United States and democracy, that we're having this Soviet-style type of uh, 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 witch hunt that's going on. Uh, so the violation, to, to break this down, uh, that, that uh, Bragg is saying is that he listed the uh, uh, the uh, payment, the hush money payment, which, by the way, is totally legal. It's called a yeah. non-disclosure agreement. It's done every day in businesses and so forth to uh, settle claims of sexual harassment by employees. Perfectly legal. All right, so he's saying, okay, that's legal, but in your uh, business reports, you listed it as a legal expense. And, aha, under New York law, that's a misdemeanor. <laughs> which is, you know, a small fine and, and uh, has a two-year statute of limitations. So what he has to do is, like you said, a bank shot here. He has to piggyback that off a, a felony to get it up to anything serious. And he said, okay, you uh, uh, did this in order to hide it from your during your campaign, and therefore that's a campaign contribution from Michael Cohen to you in kind, and, and you go, well, wait a minute. Uh, uh, he was doing that uh, non-disclosure agreement uh, to protect his uh, a wife and, and, and his son from hearing about this, which he, by the way, denies. Uh, but nevertheless, they tried the same thing in 2011 against John Edwards. John Edwards was a Democratic senator from North Carolina running against Obama. He got $900,000 from a big Democratic mega donor to pay hush money to John Edwards' mistress, 
and love child because John Edwards' wife uh, didn't know about it, and she was in the hospital with terminal breast cancer. That's so, right. So the the uh, uh, government went after him. The jury acquitted uh, uh, John Edwards on one count and hung on the other counts. And the Justice Department said, look, this bank shot theory is not working. We're going to drop the case. So they, it was wrong when they went after John Edwards, and it's wrong now going after Trump, especially since Brack has no jurisdiction over prosecuting uh, federal crimes. So uh, this case stinks to high heavens. It's clearly a, po- a political vendetta. And, uh, you know, uh, he should and probably will file motions to dismiss this case on both legal grounds as well as it being uh, a malicious prosecution. So, well, you know, recently uh, Bragg's office said that uh, House Republicans have made, quote-unquote, baseless and inflammatory allegations that our investigation is politically motivated. Now, he can't tether his assertions to any measurable standard of accountability and dialogue and debate uh, debunking what the Republicans have said. I mean, uh, when, when you when you look at the fact that the statute of limitations has run out, whether you're going to use uh, the state laws having to do with uh, campaign finance law violations or the feds, both have run out. Now, in my estimation, and while I'm not an attorney, uh, I, I am somebody very familiar with the Queen, with the King's English. And right. in well, my estimation, you know, unless la- unless sure. language is no longer tethered to the meanings of the words that comprise it, once right. you see that the statute of limitations have run out, there is no case. What am I missing? Well, what 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 uh, may be happening here is that there may be a loophole in the statute of limitations. Uh, during the COVID uh, period, the courts in New York put a hold on the running of the statute of limitations, so they may try to work that trick into going forward. But more importantly, uh, Bragg and the New York people had uh, two years. Well, hold, I have to ask you to stop right there. I have to ask you to stop right there. Was the hold that was placed legislatively executed and signed by a governor, or was it be uh, put in place as an executive order, which, of course, as you know, uh, executive orders and legislation, legislative law, uh, they're only as binding as they are constitutionally compliant. Say it again. The whole thing is, is, is uh, the thing is. I, I tell you what, you break it up a little bit. If you can, we'd love to have you uh, hang on to the other side of the break. Uh, folks, you're listening to the Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. We're talking once more to Paul Keminar. He's lead counsel for the National Legal and Policy Center. He previously served as senior executive counsel of the Washington Legal Foundation. Again, you're listening to The Alan Nathan Show. New research released to mark the International Day of Math reveals that math is the subject most American adults say they're afraid of, but is also the subject they most want their children to be good at. So to help them support their children in building confidence with numbers, a new, fun and engaging computer game called Teach Your Monster Number Skills has hit the market. Junaid Mabeen is a math expert from Number Skills, and he says building your child's confidence from an early age is vital. Getting kids confident with numbers from a very young age is so important to their long-term success in mathematics. And the reason I use Teach Your Monster Number Skills with my own children is that it teaches them about numbers, about how creative and, and playful numbers can be. It's very fun and also educationally very powerful. You can download this great game today. Just search for Teach Your Monster Number Skills online. It's available on all desktop and mobile devices.
Trust me, you won't regret it. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country, but unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. Um, we're covering a number of things, of course. Uh, Manhattan DA Bragg is prosecuting Trump for violating uh, 2016 federal campaign finance laws, uh, even though the statute of limitations have expired, both federal and state. Um, you know, he, he laughably says he will, quote-unquote, follow the law without fear or favor, uh, even as he fears George Soros and favors political bias, uh, and yet he he seems to be indignant over the, the fact that anybody would dare say that the, he's politicized anything, even though he's on record as having disagreed uh, with his predecessor and uh, 
other attorneys in the prosecutor's office in New York over the prospect of going after Trump. He's on record as originally saying that he didn't think they had enough evidence to, to go against him. I mean, does anyone with an IQ over deodorant really believe D.A. Bragg at this point? I mean, I, I, to say this will blow up on Democrats like dynamite is one thing. A lot of people are saying that. There's Some are saying that this is going to blow up on the Democrats like dynamite. But I think it's going to be more like multiple nuclear bombs. Either way, watching this will be a blast. Uh, we have assisting in the opining and analyzing. Uh, old friend of the show, none other than Paul Kemenar. He's lead uh, counsel for the National Legal and Policy Center. Again, he previously served as senior executive counsel for the Washington Legal Foundation, representing over 300 members of Congress in major Supreme Court cases. Uh, Paul, good to have you back. Appreciate you sticking around. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks very much. Also, I used to be an attorney with the Federal Election Commission, and I do campaign finance law, so I know a little bit about the subject. Well, I'm glad, really especially then glad to have you on board about this, uh, because, well, let let me share with you how another friend of the show uh, spoke about this. Uh, he, of course, is John Solomon of Just the News. Sure. He recently wrote in a piece entitled uh, Trump Prosecutors Cross Perilous Rubicon Now Face Test Over Credibility, Consistency, and Clock. Now, here's a few uh, selected ex- excerpts. Uh, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's team will face withering scrutiny that will test three crucial elements of his case, uh, the credibility of his witnesses, the clock known as the statute of limitations, and the consistency of his application of fraud law. Solomon adds that CNN believes that the primary theory of the case to be that Trump caused his New York-based company to record false entries distinguishing non-disclosure payments to women as legal expenses for former, uh, former attorney Michael Cohn in an effort to evade federal campaign finance laws. Uh, to make that leap, prosecutors will have to claim those acts amounted to a conspiracy to defraud, but then he quickly he further writes that excerpts uh, experts steeped in New York law believe uh, this to be Bragg's most lethal Achilles heel, and he adds this: he adds that the reason is simple: the act of defrauding under New York and federal law must involve more than deceit; it requires proof of an effort to steal money or property from others, uh, and this, of course, is how. Courts have consistently ruled for decade now, end of mixed experts, uh, excerpts. So let me ask right. you, sir, uh, because of this and the statute of limitations expiring under both state and federal law, doesn't it seem obvious that D.A. Bragg's case has little about which he can boast? Your sense of it? Yeah, no, exactly. There are a lot of holes in this uh, case, uh, better than, uh, bigger than Swiss cheese. Uh, but in terms of uh, uh, the statute of limitations, whether it ran or not, the, the proof is in the pudding, namely... Uh, that they waited until Trump announced uh, his presidency to go after him. Does anybody think if Trump came out and said, you know what, I'm not running in 2024, they will go after him on this? Of course not. So it's clear that it's done to interfere uh, with uh, the upcoming election. And uh, there's a lot of legal flaws with this case, Uh, not only the false entry, uh, but the FEC issue both the Federal Election Commission and the Justice Department took a pass on that uh, violation, as I said earlier in the first segment. They went after a Democratic Senator John Edwards on the same thing. And, and, and actually, Trump is better because there, in his case, he used his own money, whereas in, in, in Edwards, he was getting donations from outside. Uh, and under the election laws, 
a candidate can give as much money as he wants to his own campaign. Uh, so it, it, it doesn't hold uh, any water, both legally and as a matter of the public interest, like, oh, this is a crime. And where's Bragg going after the real crime in New York? Uh, there's a lot of violent crime uh, that we all know, pushing people off the subway uh, platform, uh, uh, sexual assaults, and so forth. Uh, and, and he's taking a pass on a lot of that. So it's clear that this is a political witch hunt. And uh, let's hope that the courts uh, dismiss this case from the get-go. Now, it may be let that... Me, let something... me ask you this. Yeah. What about the fact that the, one of the key witnesses, Michael Cohn, uh, formerly uh, one of yeah. Trump's attorneys, he seemed to lose a lot of credibility, not just because he was a convicted perjurer or is a convicted perjurer, Right. But that, again, his own lawyer, who, you know, the non-disclosure agreements, they were the client attorney privilege, I should right. say, was waived or whatever. Robert Costello, he testified to the grand jury, apparently the same one that handed down the indictment. Right. But he testified saying that Cohn admitted to him that he and not Trump paid for the alleged hush money to Stormy Daniels. Well, yeah, uh, no, it's clear that he did pay, but there are some uh, checks that Trump wrote out for $35,000. Uh, a few months in 2017 that allegedly was done to repay uh, uh, Cohen for for the legal work he did on that. But again, that's that's totally legal, too. Uh, uh, so so th th that's basically a smokescreen in terms of who paid what. The bottom line is a non-disclosure agreement is totally legal. And, and regardless of uh, who paid for it, the question is, whether or not this two-bit uh, violation of the wrong entry uh, uh, is trying being bootstrapped into a f campaign violation is where it's all going to fall apart. And keep in mind that, that Hillary Clinton, uh, on her campaign reports, wrote down on the uh, uh, report that she charged a million dollars for, quote, legal expense, end quote, that was given to pay for the Steele dossier. So the FEC says, wait a minute. You wrote down legal expense, and that's not true. It was basically to pay for this phony dossier, uh, a steel dossier. And what did the Federal Election Commission do? Ah, slap on the wrist, $8,000, civil penalty, have a nice day. Yeah, it so, seems to illustrate the two-tier judicial system oh, to which we're being subjected. Absolutely. Now, Alan Dershowitz, you know, famed Harvard Law professor, emeritus, yep. uh, and liberal supporter of Joe Biden, he yep. actually said, uh, quote, in my 60 years of practicing law, I've never seen a weaker case. He also yep. added that, quote, I've never seen a case that would be so easy to win if the person's name was not Donald Trump and the city was not New York. And then he goes on to say there's a risk he could lose with some kind of squirrel jury in New York yep. who will be terrified to come home to their family and friends and say, yeah. hey, we acquitted Trump. But I think what Dershowitz didn't mention, though he's obviously aware of it, is that said court would not be the final word. I mean, Trump would not only have the state and appellate we not only have the state appellate and Supreme Court to right. throw out the otherwise self-invalidating case, but then U.S. federal district and appellate and Supreme Court venues, right? Because, I mean, am I correct in saying that the lowest federal district court is traditionally the first venue for those wishing to appeal a state Supreme Court ruling if there's a federal component to it? No, what am I mistaken? Uh, no, uh, not necessarily. But in any event, this is going to last for a long time through the court system. And it's certainly done to go after Trump. Well, what I'm reminded of, though, is Bush v. Gore. Remember that, though, when the Florida Supreme Court came right. out with its ruling in Gore's favor, right. technically the first court of appeal would have normally been a district federal court, but they fast-tracked it to the Supreme Court. I'm right. wondering if the 14th Amendment violations involved here might not make it eligible for that district court appellate option.
thing is is uh, a worthless case politically motivated small and medium-sized enterprises face several challenges today not the least of which is security in a recent survey more than 42 percent of small enterprises said they experienced a cyber attack within the last year there are many reasons small enterprises are vulnerable to security threats including limited IT employees and low investment in security the Open Directory platform provider JumpCloud advises that IT unification is one of the best actions these organizations can take to affordably shore up their defenses. JumpCloud Director of Product Management, Tom Bridge. IT unification is an affordable, manageable, and effective means of preventing cyber attacks. Unifying your IT stack makes access to your most sensitive resources more confidential, secure, and easier to monitor. At the end of the day, it gives small to medium-sized enterprises a much simpler method for detecting and addressing security threats. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Spring is in the air, and now's the time to spring forward with a delicious breakfast from Burger King, an all-natural Simply Orange juice. Begin your day with a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich with sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant, or a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit on a warm buttermilk biscuit. And make it a meal. All Burger King breakfast sandwiches go great with crispy hash browns and pair perfectly with a Simply Orange juice with no added sugar, never sweetened, never concentrated, and never frozen simply orange goes perfectly with breakfast at burger king and is rich in vitamin c and now through march 31st on the bk app royal perks members get a free single croissant sandwich with any simply orange juice purchase use code breakfast to redeem get a jump on spring with breakfast at burger king because you rule at participating u.s burger king restaurants royal perks account required restrictions apply see offer terms for details not valid on delivery orders sponsored by coca-cola you know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. 
If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Well, this is all everybody's really talking about. Manhattan DA Bragg is prosecuting Trump for violating 2016 federal campaign finance laws. This is despite the statute of limitations expiring. This is despite the feds already finding insufficient evidence to move the case forward when it was brought to them. This is despite the fact that Bragg's key witness, Michael Cohn, is a convicted perjurer. Um, so many things crazy. Uh, it's also despite the fact that Robert Costello testified uh, in, the, in the grand jury saying that Cohn admitted that uh, it was he and not Trump who paid uh, the alleged hush money to Stormy Daniels. This is also despite the fact that Stormy Daniels is on record as testifying that she never had an affair with Trump, which is, of course, of secondary importance. The primary measure here is that NDAs are perfectly legal. Uh, non-disclosure agreements, they're also perfectly legal when it comes to uh, people wishing to keep quiet affairs that they had. Um, also what's, uh, often forgotten about is that, uh, if it turns out that, uh, someone has had an ancillary reason for, um, a particular expense not being included in their campaign finance activity listing, uh, such as, Hey, uh, this was for the purpose of, um, well, like keeping it quiet. So the wife doesn't get upset or maybe it doesn't harm Trump's brand, uh, if these were if, they, if these were additional reasons as to why he wanted to keep all this quiet, uh, then it really uh, can't be uh, focused upon as campaign relevant because it was having to do with these other reasons. Uh, it's just so laughable how this guy Bragg says he's going to follow the law without fear or favor, quote unquote, because the guy obviously fears George Soros, the one who put him in the position of power, and he also favors political bias. I mean, when he says this stuff, does anyone with an IQ over deodorant really believe him? Please. It just, it's just so bizarre. So very, very bizarre. And again, some say it's going to blow up on Democrats like dynamite. I, I really think it's going to be more like multiple nuclear bombs. I mean, either way, watching this is going to be a blast. But it, it, it is just touching on so many things that we haven't encountered before that I'm not sure the Democrats understand what they've unleashed. Now, Jonathan Turley has a sense of this, George Washington University law professor, because he's about as shocked as this is, as is um, liberal 
um, attorney extraordinaire, Harvard Law professor Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz says this is the worst case he's ever seen in his entire 60 years of practicing law. But Jonathan Turley's right there with him. Listen to what he had to say on this issue. Clip four, James, if you please. And then it's a chilling moment. The fact is that over months of investigation, we have not heard of other crimes. Uh, this is the crime that uh, most people on both the right and the left have been debating. Uh, it's the crime that's referenced in a book written by one of the prosecutors who resigned, then published a book about prosecuting Trump. Uh, and the concern is that if this theory is actually the basis of the indictment, then this is a rather ignoble moment in history. Donald Trump may be the first pre former president to be indicted, but if this is the standard, he won't be the last. And it's going to obviously get uh, very fierce uh, in terms of the motions and the litigation ahead of us, and obviously the politics. You know, it's a it's a curious thing, by the way, to lead with this case because it, you know, the chaos that is erupting is pretty much the element for Donald Trump. I mean, it's like trying to kill an orca by throwing him into the water. He's pretty much on the money, is he not? I mean, he's pretty much on the money. And the risk uh, to the fabric of the country can't be overstated. I mean, this is a salient example of there being a two-tier justice system. Recently, another old friend of the show, uh, Ned Ryan, uh, R-Y-U-N. Ned Ryan, I guess. I think it's Ed Ryan, R-Y-U-N. But we've had him on before. He's from the American majority. Anyway, he was on with Tucker Carlson. And he says the indictment of uh, Trump is really just a targeting of a political opponent over policy differences. And apparently equal justice under the law is dead. Clip five, James, if you please. Well, they're targeting a political opponent over policy differences. The un-American left is ushering in a new era of pure power politics uh, in which they've decided rule of law, equal application of it is dead. I would argue, Tucker, we're, we're really living an illusion of a constitutional republic than an actual reality of it. And now the, the real rules of the game are 100% laws of weapon. And I think the real question I have is, are red state AGs and DAs prepared to wage this war of lawfare? And I don't want to hear any of them say, ooh, it's icky, we're better than that. If Whoever says that, I really believe doesn't know what time it is, because we're in a Cold War, Civil War era in this country uh, in which we have to decide and commit to the policy of mutually assured destruction. Democrats are launching nukes at us. We better decide we're launching nukes back at them until they stop. He's got a point there. You know, as I've said uh, during similar circumstances, you got to use the weapons you have while you have them, okay, versus letting the other side shame you into not using them, even as that other side mobilizes its own against you. I mean, you put up with that stuff, you're a sap. You fall for that, you're an idiot. And he's right. Ryan, Ryan is right. Absolutely. But we're having a lot of this going on in the form of many, many other activities like censorship. Grotesque censorship. You may have heard of this case we've been talking about, Louisiana and Missouri v. Biden et al. You got the House Weaponization Committee investigating government censoring of Americans by big tech proxy. And uh, we've been listening to testimony from plaintiffs uh, in that case. One of the witnesses is uh, former Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. We've had him on our show. The guy's now the state's uh, most recently elected senator. 
Um, he is joined by current Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry and former Missouri Deputy Attorney General for Special Litigation D. John Sauer. Uh, you might recall the case was first filed like May of last year. But here's the good news. They've been enjoying court-approved depositions ever since. And most recently had a federal judge grant them formal standing. So we're genuinely off to the races. And these guys call the case, quote, the most important free speech lawsuit of this, of this generation, unquote. And when you look at the tonnage of already partly published testimony that they've been able to secure from both resistant FBI agents as well as willing whistleblowers, the description seems to be very, very accurate. I mean, their evidence really proves that Biden and company colluded, quote, unquote, colluded with social media giants, Meta, Twitter, and YouTube, to censor free speech in the name of combating so-called disinformation and misinformation, unquote. Now, you have to remember, given that the Twitter files also show government actors calling for these same, um, these, these same activities in their own words, given that we also have the, these government bureaucrats and officials demanding these same uh, kinds of compliance in their own words, well, then all of a sudden... Uh, these disclosures only bolster the plaintiff's claims of government censorship by big tech proxy that much more. I mean, it would seem that their case against the Biden administration becomes that much stronger, does it not? Now, look, the, the, the crux of the plaintiff case claims that the Biden White House and like-minded thinkers in the FBI, DOJ, and DHS, and NIH, and the CDC, DHS, of course, being the Department of Homeland Security, NIH being National Institutes of Health, the CDC being Centers for Disease Control. These guys suppressed a ton of truthful information because that information proved contrary to the government's preferred narratives that pushed everything from COVID protocols to their stance against uh, COVID lab leak theories uh, to their suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. And and, and, and now, of course, uh, thoroughly uh, debunked the claim uh, that uh, said laptop was a product of Russian propaganda. I mean, this is a very big deal. This is a very big deal. I mean, doesn't the laptop provide unambiguous, incriminating evidence against Joe Biden's bogus claim to have never known any of his son's business partners, as well as his insistence to being unfamiliar with their dealings? This laptop cuts Joe Biden's legs out from under him. And haven't these revelations led to multiple polls showing respondents saying that had they known about these proven lies, they would not have voted for Joe Biden, which of course would have accordingly resulted in Trump winning in 2020? I mean, part of uh, Eric Schmidt's testimony, again, the former Attorney General from Missouri, current uh, most recent senator elected uh, to that state's representation in, this, in, in Capitol Hill. According to his most original te- uh, recent testimony, he said that, quote, discovery obtained by Missouri and Louisiana demonstrated that the Biden administration's coordination with social media companies and, and collusion with non-governmental organizations to censor speech was far more pervasive and destructive than ever known. And it goes on and on and on. These, co- these idiots have been caught red-handed violating our First Amendment rights, but they think they be- that because they've done it by proxy that somehow they're less accountable for violating those rights. Just because you have a process in place for censoring us doesn't mean that that process in and of itself 
becomes a self-fulfilling, self-validating enterprise. No ass wipes. You've been caught violating our founding document. Your ass is going to pay. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. 
Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. And it's a chilling moment. The fact is that over months of investigation, we have not heard of other crimes. Uh, this is the crime that uh, most people on both the right and the left have been debating. Uh, it's the crime that's referenced in a book written by one of the prosecutors who resigned, then published a book about prosecuting Trump. Uh, and the concern is that if this theory is actually the basis of the indictment, then this is a rather ignoble moment in history. Donald Trump may be the first former president to be indicted, but if this is the standard, he won't be the last. And it's going to obviously get uh, very fierce uh, in terms of the motions and the litigation ahead of us, and obviously the politics. You know, it's a it's a curious thing, by the way, to lead with this case because it, you know, the chaos that is erupting is pretty much the element for Donald Trump. I mean, it's like trying to kill an orca by throwing him into the water. Well put. Uh, that, of course, uh, was none other than uh, Jonathan Turley. Um, we've had him on our show before. We ought to get him back. He's uh, George Washington University uh, law professor, and uh, he's not, not at all pleased. He's not at all sanguine about the prospects of what's going to happen, and he does believe that the case is eventually going to die. It'll probably fall apart under the weight of its own unsubstantiality, to borrow partially from Hillary Clinton. In one of her observations, boy, talk about somebody embodying the very thing about which he speaks. Uh, but anyway, Jonathan Turley, a George Washington University law professor, says that after months of investigation, we've only heard of one crime that the prosecutor would charge against Trump. Uh, he says this is the standard for if this is the standard for indicting a former president, then more will uh, subsequently be indicted. Um, we have assisting in the opining and analyzing. Uh, old friend of the show, none other than Robert Romano, Vice President of Policy at Americans for Limited Government. Uh, Robert, good to have you back, buddy. How are you today? Beyond, Alan. Thanks for having me back. No, good to have you. Good to have you. You know, so you got Bragg going after Trump, despite the statute of limitations running out, as well as both the feds and his own predecessor finding that there wasn't enough evidence to move forward. Uh, he appears to be wrong on the law, even if the statute of limitations hadn't expired. If memory serves, I think not long ago we heard from Fox News uh, legal analyst Greg Jarrett, but I, I checked it out in other places. He pointed out that Bragg, quote, skipped over the part about dual-purpose contributions. That is, 
If money paid serves a double or ancillary function, then it is not a reportable expense or donation to the campaign, vis-a-vis campaign finance laws. And he goes on to say, hence, no crime was committed. And this has been Trump's argument all along. He did it primarily for personal and commercial reasons. Uh, End of excerpts. And again, as I said, scores of attorney weighing in on this have agreed. But my God, this isn't the only weakness to this case. Isn't that fair to say, Robert Romano? Well, not being an attorney, I can't. Um, I won't. I won't go into the. the uh, I'll just take what Greg Jarrett said there at face value and say that this is a farce. What's really happening here is they want to perp work uh, Donald Trump. They want to get him fingerprinted. They want to get his mug shot. They want the the, the political theater of of this, and then the farce of a trial that will follow, of course. But um, you know where we're coming at it is from. What are the implications? of uh, our constitutional civil society as a result of this. It's the round up my opponents and put them in jail um, is the same type of uh, kind of French-style revolutionary thing that is very, very problematic and has led to all sorts of great harms. Um, because you don't view your neighbors as, uh, you know, fellow citizens. You view them as political enemies who need to be extinguished in some way. Either you're going to silence them, it justifies censorship, it justifies uh, the criminalization of politics, as we're seeing here, and it's been used to justify much, much worse. And that's the slippery slope that we're on right now, is this is going to lead to endless reprisals um, from one side to the other side until, you know, ultimately it leads to something worse. Well, as I've mentioned on the show before, and I've never been arrested for it, and I've been saying it for, I want to say, about two and a half decades, the only time that people may legitimately revolt against government is when government's been caught red-handed rebelling against the people. Well, now, how do you measure that? Well, you, you look at the Constitution, you look at government behavior, and the degree to which partisans in government deviate from that founding document is the degree uh, to which they are in revolt. Now, we can't be willy-nilly or herky-jerky about this. We have to wait for our institutions' checks and balances and reciprocal checks and balances. But when you see grotesque examples of this kind of lawlessness being perpetrated by those uh, doing so under the trappings of officialdom, when you have uh, government officials uh, in all branches of government essentially disconnecting themselves from the very laws they require the rest of us to follow, I don't believe I'm being overly histrionic uh, or melodramatic in saying that we're looking at samples of tyranny. And I agree. in this country, the Second no, Amendment allows to, um... us to respond to tyrannical acts. What's the Second Amendment say? A well-regulated militia, meaning in good working order, nothing to do with regulation from the government. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, what's the component that I want people to concentrate on? Uh, being necessary to the security of a free state. In other words, that Second Amendment is not for hunting rights. It's to ensure that if we're ever subjected to a rogue local, state, or federal government, we have the constitutional prerogative to keep that from happening. Where am I overstating it, Robert Romano? The founders um, only voted ever to go to war via legislature. The Declaration of Independence was signed by the new states, uh, formerly the colonies, by their elected representatives. Um, And so you don't have a right to drag me back into the state of nature. I think that's the essence of it. There's no personal right to revolution. 
I, I think what it boils down to. Now, the, Fre- the Rousseauians and the Jacobins of the French Revolution would say there's a, they don't, there aren't even any rights in the state of nature. There's just the power. You can just go start your own revolution. But I don't think that's the American tradition. That's certainly not the Lockean tradition. The Lockean tradition would be that property owners um, should govern society. And as I mentioned, the founders only ever voted to go to war via legislature. And after much deliberation, that's the civil society, I think, that we're trying to preserve. And this kind of French-style revolution, everything, we're trying to avoid. But just on the question of classified documents, you look at they did it to David Petraeus. They did it to Hillary Clinton. They did it to Donald Trump. Now they're doing it to Joe Biden. This is a clear system of control um, for the presidency. I think it's, it looks like a system of leverage. Um, you know, uh, Biden has his documents thing, well, and then you would agree with later me we're sending tanks to you Ukraine. You would agree with me that we do have the prerogative uh, to protect ourselves existentially. And just like Lord Montesquieu pointed out, whenever the legislature and executive are merged, uh, tyranny will ensue. I'm paraphrasing him, but that's basically what his argument was. And we took a lot of our cues from Lord Montesquieu to ensure that one branch could not merge with the other because they would all of a sudden be checking each other's boxes off. And that Second Amendment option is an actual one in truth, right? I mean, again, being necessary to the security of a free state. Isn't it fair to say that we've never needed a permission slip from our oppressors to stop their oppression? Isn't that fair to say, Robert Romano? You can go into the state of nature, but there are consequences there. Well, there's always going to be consequences for defending yourself. But you have to use the weapons you have while you have them versus letting the other side essentially shame you into not using them even as that other side mobilizes their own against you. You're listening to The Alan Nathan the Show. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703 719 Or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.